From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. January is Florida Jewish History Month, as designated by then-Governor Jeb Bush in 2003. While there have been Jews in Florida since the earliest Spanish explorers and conquistadors began coming to this part of the world in the early 1500s, Jews were not openly welcomed in the state for centuries, and it wasn't until the late 1950s that the first Jewish residents of Collier County were even recorded. The Jewish Community Center of Collier County was founded in 1962. On today's show, we meet Southwest Florida resident Marina Berkovich. She's a native of Kiev, Ukraine, who fled the Soviet Union and communism with her mother at the age of 18. Trained as a CPA, Ms. Berkovich was chief financial officer of a New York City-based hotel and property management company before she began teaming up with her husband, Alex Goldstein, a renowned Russian-American cinematic composer, to make documentary films, many of which helped tell the story of Jewish people who made and make a positive impact on life in Southwest Florida. Ms. Berkovich is also an oral visual history interviewer for the Holocaust Museum of Southwest Florida. She and her husband moved here from New York in 2004 and in 2010 helped found the nonprofit Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida, where she remains president. I sat down with her on January 4th to hear her thoughts on the world today and the work they do at the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. Let's hear that conversation now. Marina Berkovich, welcome back to the show. Thank you so very much. So you were born and raised in Kiev. Yes, I was born and raised in Kiev, and I pronounce it in the Russian way, not in the Ukrainian way. Okay. Because Kiev is the Russian way, and Kiev is actually the Ukrainian way, and somehow in America it got morphed into something third which I've, is foreign to me. Well, I've often wondered that. Um, so what has it been like for you to watch the Russian invasion that happened, um, I guess it's been almost two years ago now? It happened on the 23rd of February of 2022, which we're going into two years, which 23rd of February is the day of the Soviet armed forces or the Russian armed forces right now. So it was really a uh, an insult to everybody who has fought in really just wars before, and um, this type of um, in an, an invasion uh, against a sovereign country, um, I, I still have not gotten the to the used to the idea of it because it's unfathomable to me, um, and maybe it's not a popular train of thought. But when I was growing up in Kiev which is a Russian-speaking city and the capital of Ukraine and has been the capital of Ukraine um, from the 9th century through um, 1930-something when Kharkov became the capital for a few years, but then it got changed back to Kiev. So historically in Kiev, you have Russians, Ukrainians, Poles, um, and people of all other nationalities blend in. Um, and um, there was never any kind of uh, idea that uh, people would not get along because they were part of the same culture for centuries. And all of a sudden, probably because of Putin, most likely because of the propaganda machine of the Russian Federation, um, it became this horrific war and uh, so many people were displaced by it, destroyed by it. And it's going to go on, unfortunately, for a very long time. 
you left when you were about 18, if I was I've got 18. it right. Why did you leave? And it was it your entire family that left, or did you leave? My entire family at that point in time was my mom and myself. So my entire family left because I took the initiative. I, I was 17 when I did that. And at that point in time, it was actually a very dangerous exercise. In fact, I actually wrote a book about it. But um, it was so dangerous that we could have gotten arrested. We could have gotten held back in the Soviet Union without documents, without any possibility of work and become a, uh, what was known as refuseniks. Refusenik means a person who was rejected by the Soviet government from exiting the Soviet Union. Um, and uh, we did it, and it was a difficult process, but boy, was it worth it. Hmm. Well, what year was that? 1979. 1979. Um, you were on this show back in 2014, and I went back and listened to it, and you told an anecdote about, I think you said when you were 15, you went to a concentration camp. And when you got back, you were telling your classmates about it, and they kind of laughed it off. And you said that there was, at that time, a pretty strong cultural anti-Semitism. Was that part of why you left, or all of why you left, or was it broader than that? Well, the broad issue is that anti-Semitism in that region is a historical reality. And it dates back all the way to the inception of the city of Kiev, which originally had, um, in ninth century, it had four gates into it. One of them was called the Jewish Gate because about quarter to 30% of that population were Jews. And there is a theory that Jews have lived in that region since before the formation of the city of Kiev because of the diaspora. And... Um, Anti-Semitism um, in that region became extremely violent during the um, times um, of the Zaporozhskaya siege, which, you know, for people who are not familiar with that, it's the Cossacks, the initial Cossacks. And um, there are horrible stories that probably we can parallel to the current times of what was happening to the Jews because they just basically it was a religious um, fight, if you will. A demand for conversion or demand for um, expropriation of assets, etc., or lands. Um, but more recently, in the 19th and 20th century, uh, the anti-Semitism was institutionalized. So, for instance, in the 19th century, a Jew could not enter a university, or Jew even couldn't live in a large city because of the pale of settlement that was created by Catherine. Uh, Catherine the Great, and um, the um, quota for the Jewish people to move into the larger city was very tiny, and you had to get like special permissions or be very brilliant student to get into high school because Jews normally did not get any education that was of a high level unless they converted. Mm. Or Jews wouldn't be able to uh, go attend university unless they were willing to convert. And there were so many examples of that going into the Russian revolutions because there were three revolutions in 20th century, 1905, and two in 1917. And when the Jews were trying to emancipate their own people, if you will, but also the country and took very active parts in those revolutions in their planning and in their execution. And then, of course, after the revolutions, 
They were blamed for some of the things that have happened, and they were pretty much exterminated through institutionalized anti-Semitism. Stalin very famously wanted to uh, deport all the Jews of the Soviet Union to the far eastern part of Russia. That area is called Birabidjan, and it's very unfavorable climate. But thankfully, he died, and most of the Jews stayed in Europe. Mm. So by the time I am going to school, it's just such a fact of life. You know, calling somebody a kike was normal. In Kiev, anti-Semitism was prevalent. Um, not in all the neighborhoods, and for instance, in the very Jewish neighborhoods of which there were a couple, uh, where there was a large number of Jews attending schools. People who who I have met through life who grew up in those neighborhoods did not experience anti-Semitism as badly as I did. I lived in a neighborhood where there were only like a couple of Jews in my school. Hmm. And we got it. Hmm. Um, where did your family go in the United States? We went to New York uh, because by the time we left the Soviet Union, uh, the American... Jewish federations have stopped the immigration from the Soviet Jewry influx into the United States from going into smaller cities and only left open larger cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Boston, maybe Philadelphia. So um, we did not have too many options, and it's whatever the community, the Jewish community that was willing to pay for our um, admission, which hmm. was like, I think, $500 a person. Um, I would love to ask you what happened in the intervening years, but because time doesn't allow, um, what brought you to Southwest Florida? You moved here around the turn of the century? Um, so we moved to Southwest Florida in 2004. Um, after September 11th, uh, when we, my husband and I were, li- we were living in uh, New Jersey when September 11th happened, and because of the nature of what we were doing, the next day after it, Radio Free Free Europe was broadcasting from our house Mm -mm. because they lost access to Federal Plaza building in Manhattan, and they did that for half a year. So September 11th was in in my house because we had our studio in our house. Uh, We were in audio and video production. Mm -hmm. So we had our studio in our house, and we had all the reporters come in and record all of their reportage, and then we would transmit, not transmit, we would actually upload these files to Prague, and it would be broadcasted from Prague office. Wow. So we lived that, and then we did like three or four films about September 11th. So we were absolutely depressed and exhausted, and we needed to come to a lighter environment, which Southwest Florida was it. And uh, when we first came here, because of the nature of what we did, we had to explain to people at actually FGCU, a TV station, um, what high definition is, <laughs> because they weren't even up to, up to par on that yet. But it was a funny story. Um, so then you founded the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida in 2010. You and your husband are co-founders? Uh, yes. And the reason that we actually founded this um, was because um, the first large project that we did in Southwest Florida was for Naples Historical Society. And um, one of the Naples founding family members uh, had 
actually paid our attention to what was happening to the Jews in Southwest Florida. And after we learned, we wanted to capture that reality because up until 1973 in Collier County, Jews were actually not allowed to bribe property in certain neighborhoods. And in fact, in Port Royal, if you know what that neighborhood is, in the bylaws, Mr. Semple, who was the uh, original uh, founder of that neighborhood, he put it in the bylaws, no blacks, no Jews, no Catholics. And um, even though there were already, you know, we were already past the housing laws, et cetera, and past segregation laws, that was allowed to stay until 1973 or so. Um, how would you characterize Southwest Florida when you first arrived? You know, you've given those examples. Uh, generally speaking, when it comes to anti-Semitic sentiment. So I wasn't really paying any attention to this because it wasn't happening actively. And because I've lived in New York and New Jersey, I've kind of regressed back in my um, understanding that it actually, you know, could happen. I was already too Americanized and didn't think that anti-Semitism was as active as um, um, I learned it used to uh, be here. Um, but um, then once I discovered the history of Collier County in particular, but, you know, also Lee County and other counties in the area, Historically, um, since the founding of, uh, of Florida, anti-Semitism existed almost from day one, from 1513, because even though the whole Florida was discovered for the kingdom of Spain because of the Inquisition, 1513, right? So because of that, they had... Um, actually forbade uh, Jews to live in Florida for the next 250 years. Mm. Tell us about the work that you do at the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. So basically our mission is to uh, preserve, protect, and uh, disperse the history of Jews in Southwest Florida. And uh, for that purpose, we actually compile presentations and make documentary films. I think when film number 24 presently um, and present them to variety of audiences. And our films, we were very lucky. Our films were picked by a new museum of Jewish people in Israel, um, which is um, a virtual museum. We also created a virtual museum of Southwest Florida Jewish history. Um, we're calling it the virtual museum, but basically it's an online presence. And um, we're trying to educate people about some of the very important Jews who have made the state of Florida possible, who have made life in Southwest Florida, um, enriched it, made it more cultured, made it more um, economically um, prosperous, etc., um, so, and it's a very interesting journey because when, you know, I kind of, you know, um, going back and looking at it from in 2009 or so when we conceived of this, um, I wasn't uh, aware of how interesting this, this, this journey would become. I really knew the importance of it because I came, I love to say this about the Soviet Union, I came from a country with unpredictable past because it's been revisioned so many times, hmm. 
that you never know whose version you're going mm-hmm. to get. And it depends on the current government and depends on the part of the former Soviet the Union. The history changes decade by decade. It's basically, you know, it's it's uh, alternate reality, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not even decade by decade in the last you know, few years it's yeah. changed. Um, and if you talk to people from the same cities, and especially now in the framework of the war that's going on, you get very different perspectives. And especially in answer to a question of what do you predict will be the outcome of all of this. People have very different ideas, different allegiances, and different understanding of history. And it's very, the, the, the saying, if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it, um, it's, it's very active, it's very present. And it's there for a reason, because that's exactly what's been happening over and over and over in certain parts of the world. And Ukraine being the strategic center of Europe um, and the largest country in Europe is a good example. Southwest Florida is also another good example to Florida because it's the last area in Florida where Jews were allowed to settle. So, for instance, one of the films that we made for the Jewish Historical Society, and we make a series of films, it's called Southwest Florida Jewish Pioneers. Uh, one of the films, um, based on the interviews we had with Dr. Laboda, Dr. Gerald Laboda, who was actually the very first maxiofacial surgeon in Southwest Florida. It took me a long time to learn to pronounce that combination <laughs> of words. Um, he came here in 1965, and he was witness to the segregation because at that point in time, there were two hospitals in Fort Myers, and the black people could, were not allowed to, to stay overnight in the hospital. They had to be wheeled across the street to a smaller building, and um, that ended pretty much the next year after he came here, but stories like that... And he, um, in that film, goes through the history of Southwest Florida, or Lee County more particularly, as it developed its its presence through cities like Cape Coral, which wasn't there before, or Lehigh Acres. It all happened on his watch, if you will. So we are actually in a great position to still be able to interview people who are witnesses to history. Hmm which is I don't know if we often find ourselves in that position because, you know, most of the people that I talk about a couple of centuries ago, they're no longer with us. But I witness stories like that are very important. You, um, you know, you, uh, uh, part of what you've done in your life as documentary filmmaker, um, interviewing people, you collect oral histories of Holocaust survivors. Have, uh, you, have you done a lot of that, some of that? So I actually am one of the two remaining oral visual history interviewers at the Holocaust Museum of Southwest Florida. We were trained by the same method as the United States Holocaust Museum was using. So there's a formalized way to do it. Formalized way to do it because, um, first of all, you need to be able to know the information and to relate to the people you're interviewing, but also you have... You have to have certain techniques and skills, and I sometimes forget not to interrupt people because that's the nature of my my personality, and I have to hold myself back not to talk over some other people. But um, I've interviewed probably between 30 and 40 Holocaust survivors, you know, never counted. 
but um, I, I interviewed Holocaust survivors, witnesses, and liberators. And um, variety of stories, they, they all have nuanced differences because every story is incredibly interesting and incredibly painful to actually hear. I'm sure it was much more painful for them to live. But also it's all, it all has one common theme. And that theme was never again, which right now it's kind of a slogan that have lost some of its meaning. What has it been like for you to watch the events unfolding in Israel and Gaza since October 7th? So I have a lot of family in Israel. So it's been a personal experience in that regard. It's been a personal experience for every Jew everywhere but um, not only for Jews, for non-Jews as well, because it's horrific what has happened. And um, um, it's it's been painful, and it's been sleepless nights. And I never forget about, you know, the two red-haired boys that are still captive 80-something six, seven days later. Um, the little guy turned one yesterday, Kfir, and he turned one in captivity. It is absolutely unfathomable to me that in the 21st century, any society, civilized or even uncivilized, would consider capturing children, holding them as hostages, not negotiating their release, and actually abusing captive children and women. And men, of course, also, but, you know, men, it's a la guerre comme a la guerre. Um, at wars and war, but um, women, civ- civilians, it's absolutely unfathomable. It's been it's been a nightmare. And you do have uh, friends there that you stay in touch with? I have um, a nephew who just um, was in Gaza a couple of weeks ago, for a couple of weeks, and mm. uh, he, in his words, he said, we have our own Holocaust. We don't need to go to Poland and visit Auschwitz any longer. Um, when you joined us on this show in 2014, you talked about the importance of sort of having control of the facts so when people say things that are mistruths, um, you are able to stand up to them with certainty. And that that was 10 years ago, and it seems like that's certainly even more necessary now, right? Well, right now in the wake of October 7th massacre, you know, there is I don't understand why, but all of a sudden there is a dispute over land of Israel, who belongs to territorially, etc. This has been the question that has been resolved previously and has been resolved so many times historically that I don't even understand why the world is wasting its time on that. It's like to me, to my mind, it's a diversion from other more actively pressing issues. So factual information is extremely important. And, um, you know, I cannot say this to you enough. It's important at any level, but particularly it's important while we are educating our children. Because when children do not receive proper education, academic education, um, the society will suffer when those children grow up and rule the world. Um, the Anti-Defamation League tracks incidents of anti-Semitism. Uh, there's been an uptick over the past two decades, particularly so in the past few years. Is that something that 
um, you've witnessed in Southwest Florida, and do like you at the Jewish Historical Society have to be mindful of security and things like that? Yes. The short answer to this is yes. Witness the increase, witness the security, the need for security. Um, because in my past, I used to be an auditor when I first started out, out of college. And I used to do audits. Like a financial auditor. Financial yes. auditor. I'm a, I'm a non-practicing CPA, which <laughs> I don't mention very loosely because non-practicing is the key point here. But when I was practicing, I, I actually used to do audits in New York for UJA, which is United Jewish Appeal, and UIA, which is United Israel Appeal. And I, this is the first time in my life when I was forced to enter the building through like a triple door entry. So you went into a safe room before you get, got into a building. And um, I, when I got to Southwest Florida and the Jewish Federation didn't have that kind of protection, it was a little bit scary. And in, in my also previous uh, career, I also worked for uh, Bromson North college, which is an, an North America um, institution, and that's like a Jewish organization college, a series of colleges. So we also had some security. And um, Southwest Florida did not need that. It was very safe. And that sa sense of safety perhaps was a false sense of safety, gave us a false sense of security. Um, by the time I've, we formed the Jewish Historical Society and we started putting on events, and in particular the fundraising events, we realized that we need to hire the sheriff's department to come and protect us for the duration of the event. Without it, we cannot do that. And they've been really good to us. Um, we usually have the fundraisers in Collier County and they've been very actively protecting us. Recently, after October 7th event, I actually um, chaired the um, Stand with um, Israel rally of Southwest Florida, and um, also Collier County Sheriff's Department was extremely great in protecting us. But there is a need, um, and um, people, people actually don't realize how much of a need it is because not be, not because somebody is going to like pull out a gun and shoot at us, but because of what happens in the crowd when people have not exactly congruent thoughts. Everybody's opinions are different and everybody's sentiments are hot and what happens in the crowd is uncontrollable. So it's always nice to have some security to prevent situations. So um, we're coming up to the end of the show here, but I want to highlight um, the you have an event coming up. January is Jewish History Month, or yeah, Jewish History Month in Florida, designated by Je uh, Jeb Bush, Governor Jeb Bush, back in 2003. You have an event on the 24th? On the 24th of uh, January from 2 to 4 at the Jewish Federation of Greater Naples, we will have our annual celebration of Florida Jewish history, which is an extremely interesting history, even though it has uh, not before us, it has not been gathered. But now that we've been gathering it, we've been trying to cover a lot of aspects of it. And this year, the, the theme of our presentation is the Jewish Confederates. And some of them um, are uh, David Levy Uli, without whom the state of Florida would not have its first senator ever. 
a Jewish man. And then another one is Abraham Myers, after whom the city of Fort Myers is named on February the 14th, 1850. Hmm. I was going to make sure we brought that up, so I'm glad that happened to coincide with your event. I found it interesting that, so the man who Fort Myers is named after is Abraham Myers, who was Jewish, and the man who's credited in some ways with founding the city of Fort Myers was Manuel Gonzalez, who was from Spain. So Fort Myers is founded by a, a Spaniard and named after a Jew. Right, but you know, neither. neither. Most, I didn't learn in any, and I grew up in Fort Myers and went to school in Fort Myers, and I didn't learn either of those things. So it's back to the being armed with history so you can confront mistruth. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's important to teach that in schools so that children who are growing up in the area are actually aware of what was happening. But neither of those were the native populations of Florida, of as course, we understand. Of course. Um, well, that is all the time we have. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Marina Berkovich is co-founder and president of the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. Marina, thank you so much for coming in and for the work that you all do. Thank you very much for having me, and I hope that you will have a wonderful year. You too. The Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida's annual celebration of Florida Jewish history is being held on Wednesday, January 24th from 2 to 4 in the afternoon at the Nina Iser Jewish Cultural Center in Naples. You can find links to information about it as well as to some of the documentaries she and her husband have made and interviews she has done with Holocaust survivors on our website, wgcu.org gcl. There you can also hear her interview on this show back in 2014. If you missed any of the show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Callaghan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida. Mm-hmm.